0: Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner.
1: Well, hello and welcome everybody. This is Sandy Weiner, and I am the founder of lastfirstdate.com. I am the dating and relationship coach for women over 40. Who want to attract and sustain a lasting, loving relationship, we have a wonderful show coming up for you today. I'm going to be speaking with Erwan devon. He's the founder of Erwan Devon Teachings in San Francisco, and he's going to be talking to us about overcoming fears and stumbling blocks in relationships. It's a really important topic, and we'll be talking about some other things related to relationships as well. And as a dating coach, it is my mission to help women over 40, and some men too, um, recognize the qualities of a good partner and learn the relationship skills that help make love last. And the unfortunate thing is that most women who come to me for support are great at everything but love. And it's true of most people. I think we, we have trouble when we're vulnerable, and, um, and we often make mistakes in dating that sabotage our dating success. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see over and over again, especially for women who grew up in the 60s, baby boomer women, they've worked hard to have success in the workforce and they bring that same working competitive edge to their dating life. And unfortunately, this can totally turn off the men that they are interested in and um, we have to be careful about saying things like, I'm super busy, I'm talking about your work too much. It's not That's not relational. That's something about your work life. So you've got to be able to separate the two. And once you understand what's not working in your dating life, you'd be surprised at how easily you can turn things around and have dating and relationship success. So what I've done is outlined the top three mistakes that women and men make in dating and midlife and I've given exercises to actually turn them around so you can find love now. So if you would like a copy of that free guide, all you have to do is go to lastfirstdate.com and you can sign up right on my home page because I want you to go on your last first date. Today's show is sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you like. You'll get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash lastfirstdate. Erwan Davon has taught thousands of singles and couples how to have exceptional romantic relationships over the past 17 years. He is the founder, senior teacher, and president of San Francisco-based Erwan Davon Teachings. He graduated with a degree in psychology, and he soon began teaching personal development for one of the world's largest personal growth organizations. He then branched out on his own to support people in their relationships. And in 1993, he founded Beyond Education, which later became Erwan Devon Teachings. Erwan has a straight-talking style that that gets through to anyone, so you can see your blind spots in relationships and then take your romance to new heights. Join us now as we discuss how to overcome fears and stumbling blocks in relationships. Welcome to the show, Erwan.
0: Thank you, Sandy. It's great to be with you.
1: Thank you. So let's talk about fears and stumbling blocks. Um, So if you can just share with us some of the most common ones that people have to work through in relationships. Let's start there.
0: Probably the biggest fear that people have to work through in relationship is a fear of being rejected. Mm -hmm. Um, Human beings, uh, you know, we, we love each other. We're very into each other. We really care about each other. We really like being with each other. And when we're kids, we're totally open to that, you know, completely open to that. And in a in a familial context, not a romantic context, but in a familial context, we're we're 100% open to that. And our parents do the best they can. And as most people know, our, our parents don't do everything perfectly. And that goes from uh, you know a, a little not perfectly to really badly. You know, somewhere in that spectrum. And everybody listening to the call, you know, we're all somewhere in that spectrum. Um, and there's a, a feeling that the child gets of of being wrong or being rejected or not being received, and it's and it's not an inaccurate feeling. I mean, it's it's not to say you know we're not loved as children, you know we we probably are, but you know maybe not the best way. And uh, human beings grow and develop, and uh, you know with a with a kind of a wounded core. And that wounded core develops a harder shell around it, and that harder shell can be in the form of uh, defensiveness. We, you know, we we call that kind of more of a meany kind of shell. It can be in the form of capitulating, kind of giving in all the time. We call that a softy kind of shell. It can be in the form of avoiding. You know, we call that an avoider. It's kind of like the, you know, the little you know, people who chase Pac-Man and in the Pac-Man game, they have different personalities. And as human beings, we develop these different sort of escape mechanisms, defensive mechanisms, but all to protect that sort of soft core, that wound. And and basically, the biggest fear people have is the fear of being rejected, that that, that inner self is going to be seen again the way it was when we were children and not be received the way you know, unfortunately, it isn't that well received for a lot of people. So that that dynamic, that originally is a familial dynamic, plays out in romantic relationship.
1: Yeah, I I so agree with you on that, and I think a lot of people totally miss that that it starts from a very very early age, and we tend to choose partners that um, reflect the the wounds that we have from our earliest. Relationships with our family um, so so can you speak a little bit about that um how you feel you know in terms of the partners that people choose regard you know in relation to the wombs they have
0: yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a great place to focus sandy the partners that people choose tend to either be like one of their parents or the opposite of one of their parents. And people, what we call it, you know, Alicia, my wife, and I, our our terminology for it is a person's relationship blueprint. And in that familial context, originally with a person's mother and then later the the, uh, child-father relationship, you know, a certain type of relationship gets formed, and we call that a person's relationship blueprint. It's a self-other blueprint. And people play out that blueprint as they go forward in their romantic lives, in their friendships, really in all their relationships, but especially in their romantic relationships, because romantic relationships or or the romantic relationship that that a person has or wants to have tends to be the most important relationship, just like the the familial or the mother-child or father-child relationship was the most important originally. So people, you know, people have that kind of wiring, and they're basically looking to resolve those issues. They have this template, and as human beings, you know, we go through life with this, with this template, and we're, we're basically looking to resolve those issues from, from very early, and we tend to project that template on to a prospective relationship partner or a current relationship partner. And then we tend to interact with that person. You know, let's make it specific here. Let's say that, um, you know, a a little girl's relationship with her father, maybe the father wasn't so available. You know, you talked about, uh, you know, baby boomers. Um, earlier, you know, it was, it was very common for the father just not to be that available for for a lot of different reasons. And so mm-hmm. let's let's just say that you know dad wasn't that available for some people. You know maybe dad was harsh for some people. Maybe dad was, you know, engulfing or enmeshing or whatnot. But let's just say that he wasn't available. Well, that's the that's the template, the relationship blueprint that that little girl might have. So she she wants to resolve that. So she might pursue men who are not available in an attempt to resolve that issue but unfortunately it goes on unconsciously so mm-hmm. so in in this case the woman would would think that you know her upset about her her prospective partner not being available she would she would think it's about the current guy in real time today but it's not actually about the current guy in real time today. That's just a trigger for a much, much earlier issue. You know, when I used to teach, you know, you mentioned I used to teach for one of the world's largest self-development organizations. One of the things we used to say is that a person is never upset about what they're upset about. Uh And what that means is that the, the current upset is really a trigger for a much larger issue. And distinguishing that relationship blueprint, which impacts partner selection, is absolutely imperative to uh, you know, to, to not being um, governed by that, by not being controlled by that from the unconscious. Because if something's controlling us from the unconscious and we're, we're reacting to current triggers, we can never really resolve it because we don't even really know what's going on. We're trying to resolve it with somebody in the present day and it doesn't really have anything to do with them.
1: Right. And so people keep dating the same person with a different face um subconsciously unconsciously until they become conscious about it um and then they can they can then heal from that place so so if they if they have this unavailable father and pursue men who are not available um so is that partially do you think um due to the fact that Uh, a lot of women want to subconsciously fix men. They think that they're going to be the ones who are going to somehow heal, cure, fix, make him into somebody else.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, women are trying to do that with men, and men are trying to do that with women, and and people are trying to do that with themselves. (laughs) You know, people, Mm -hmm. being a human being, you know, we sort of end up on kind of a fix-it plan. And Mm -hmm. You know, one of, the, one of the things is that, you know, it's a really good point you're bringing up, Sandy. One of the things that when somebody's trying to fix something, we can be assured that it's never going to change. Because when we're trying mm-hmm. to fix something, we're, we're coming from that there's something wrong. We're coming from that, there's, that it's possible to fix ourselves or fix the other person. There's a, you know, we're, 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 we're actually asserting that things are a particular way that that relationship blueprint is in fact true that you know although it doesn't make logical sense we're we're really kind of asserting you know in this case with the you know we're talking about a woman and a man but we could really switch the roles quite easily um mm-hmm. unconsciously it's it's that this is daddy and um you know I'm I'm going to fix him and 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 get the love I need and you know it's it's not actually that's not actually happening that's not that's not actually going on and there's there's something very different than fixing, and I I, I like the word that you used. You use the word healing, uh-huh. and healing happens. You know, if we look at the stages of healing, you know, in, in psychology they talk about the stages of healing. He, healing, uh, you know, the the first stage is um, uh, denial, and then eventually we get to acceptance, and that's really where healing begins. You know, the grieving process. You know, it really turns into a healing process once we begin to accept. So instead of fixing, which is really an assertion that something shouldn't be a certain way or that even that it wasn't that way, you know, that's very common They're actually deny the way that things were in our childhood or mm-hmm. even in a current relationship. So yep. healing has everything to do with accepting. This week, Alicia and I are. Our topic, actually, the last two weeks. Uh, last week it was uh, feel and heal, and, and this week it's feel and heal number two. <laughs> you know, okay. so really, it, you know, healing really starts with feeling and accepting and understanding what's going on, and really being with things the way that they are, and not the way that they're not. And it's it's amazing the kind of natural, organic healing process that happens. The same way, you know, maybe a cut on our hand or something like that, given the right environment you know, a little sunshine, a little air, maybe a band-aid, that kind of thing, will will actually heal on its own.
1: Um, yeah, so that so after you do accept and understand what's going on, so you have to have an awareness. I guess that's it's you, you have to have that awareness before you accept it because otherwise you're still living in this fog. That there's nothing you can do about it, and you have no idea why you just keep having relationship failure. Um, So you understand it, you see it, you notice it, or somebody notices it for you um, because that's often what happens is that you go to a professional who helps you to see it, and then you've identified it. And so then how do you unpeel it? How do you actually heal it? What kinds of steps do you take to... um, to make peace with the relationship that you had trouble with in your past and begin to have a new relationship blueprint.
0: Yeah, yeah. Again, it's a it's a great question. The the first thing to understand is that it's a really big deal. And people tend to go into self-development or a desire to heal something or you know maybe a growth process or something like that and they tend to underestimate the magnitude of what it takes and and it's you know when when Alicia and I teach we really try to stress to people that's why we don't we don't just do a you know workshop we have the pleasure course it's 3 days long it's awesome people's lives open but we teach a relationship curriculum because you know it it takes time you know the the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is it takes years you know it's it's mm-hmm. not a quick fix and so the first thing to understand is that you know it, it's, it really is something of, of uh, large scale. The, the human, you know, mechanism, if you'll forgive the language, is the most complex mechanism, body and mind. We've never encountered anything nearly as complex. It's a system, and it's it's a it's a life organic system. You know, very interested in perpetuating its survival. And, you know, whatever formula, relationship, blueprint we've come up with, you know, it's really ingrained in, in our life, in our patterns, in our habits, and so on. And they're, they're, it, it tends to, it has a certain momentum to stay the same. So changing that really is a big deal, and it gives people a, a big leg up on it, a, you know, much greater chance of success if they, if they understand, okay, you know, this is really a big deal. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing. And then, and then, in terms of how to do it, I use a lot of research that uh, you know the government has done a lot of research, and different universities like MIT and Harvard and so on have done a lot of research into you know how does change happen, you know, because they do it in you know communities and schools, sort of large scale, and they've they've basically come up with uh, three essential ingredients in change and, and, and how change happens. The first thing is you do have to have that awareness and that understanding that, that you mentioned a moment ago. You know, what what is my objective here? Okay, I've got this relationship blueprint. This is it. And I want to change it. And, you know, maybe there's even some kind of plan about that or, you know, something like that. So that's kind of like the head part, the cognitive part, the intellectual part, the thoughtful part, like that. You know, really is important to have a vision, a plan, you know, some awareness about it. The mm-hmm. next step is, uh, it, it, I would say, even more important. Except that, you know, really the first step in anything tends to be the most important. But, the, but the next step is is very, very important, and it's it's where people tend to drop the ball. And that is, the heart has to get into it. You know, do, do we really want to change? Are we really willing to do what it takes? Because changing a dynamic, let's say, you know, stick with our example of, say, a woman is, is pursuing unavailable guys. Well, if she really wants to change that, you know, it a lot of the guys that she's rejecting, you know, she's going to, you know, become intimate with or get get to be close with or date, and that's going to bring up a lot of feelings. And there's going to be all kinds of feelings from childhood and from the past and, you know there's a there's a lot to feel it also mm-hmm. takes a lot of time you know there's there's photo albums to look through there's you know you mentioned uh, you know seeing a professional there's professionals to talk to there's there's commitment so it's really like putting oneself into it you know alicia and i we we teach uh, uh a lot of romantic relationship it really is our focus but we do it from a spiritual context a psychological context and also a sexual context and from the spiritual context one of my favorite gurus of the last century he said all that's required to attain enlightenment is an earnest desire or sincerity so it's very different to to go into into this process this healing process this self-development process this relational process not only having a vision and awareness, but really putting one's heart into it and and being at a place where, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes. You know, really, whatever it takes, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. I know that's what it took for me. My, you know, I was born and my, uh, you know, my mother Renee and my father uh, Daniel, their relationship was falling apart before I was born. My mother came from France to be with my father, you know, you know and then they went back to France and moved back here when i was 2 and a relationship was completely falling apart and shortly afterwards they got divorced and you know for a l- the situation was so bad i stayed with the uh, i was in new york city and manhattan i stayed with the state for a little while because they you know they were really at each other's throats and then she went right. back to france you know i was 7 you know it's pr- pr- pretty much the worst thing that can happen to a little boy is his mother leaves uh-huh. um you know then at uh 15 you know after sort of a rough young childhood my uh father had a stroke left him severely handicapped extreme difficulty speaking uh mm-hmm. you know extreme difficulty moving he's he's still in that state i just saw him last weekend in new york actually mm-hmm. and uh and then within that same year my mother who i hadn't seen for years she was in france she died so you mm-hmm. know i i ended up having an obsessive-compulsive disorder and just all, I mean, the difficulties were intense and, you know, put it this way, it went downhill from there, (laughs) you know. Wow. So it was really, really intense. And, you know, that's how I got into psychology and self-development. My my point in that is that, you know, there was a time period where I was involved and I took some workshops and I did this and I did that. And, yeah, there was some benefit, but I really wasn't ending up in the, Relationship, you know, it, it, you know, I, I was not having my last first date, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right.
0: and, um, you know, and at a certain point, I really had to take a look at what was going on, and it, it was like a mental process for me. You know, as human beings, we can live in a sort of mental space. It's like a make-believe space, a fantasy space. Like a, it's like going to the restaurant and like reading the menu for two hours instead of eating. So I really took a look and, like, okay, I got to a point where I was willing to do whatever it took to have what we call an eternal date, you know, soulmate relationship, a relationship that gets better and better intimately, spiritually, and sexually. So, you know, I really got to that point. And, um, you know, once I was really willing to do whatever it took, boy, the emotion started coming up big time. You know, I I was crying unexpectedly. You know, I was, you know, I I had maybe five or six appointments a week with different kinds of support structures and groups and this and that, and, like, everything really intensified. But it got very real. You know, it it really got real. And in the early days, I was, you know, teaching people how to, meet each other and pick each other up and some sex information and all of it was fun, but I wasn't ending up in the relationship. And when I got real about, I'm going to do whatever it takes, you know, within a couple of years, Alicia showed up in my life. And, you know, we've been together now for uh, 12 years in a committed relationship. We've been married for most of that time. And, you know, it still requires a lot. You know my relationship blueprint from from that rough beginning you know still comes up as as does hers, but the relationship is very solid because we're in it, you know and and we're we're doing what it takes, and that sincerity is there. so we had a vision, and then we you know really put our hearts into it and then the third step you know back to the the research from from the u s government and from from several universities, is that it's not enough to have a vision. Not enough to have your heart in it or really want to, in, you know, in sort of government terms. You'd have to have the community be into it. You'd have to have the community buy into it. You know, they, the community would have to be a yes to it. So those two aren't enough. The third step is uh, is really the structure, the implementation, the walking the walk. And that's, you know, that's the part about, you know, I was seeing, you know, several professional psychologists and coaches and otherwise and taking seminars and doing things and trying different things and, you know, breath work and, you know, running around rooms, waving my arms and, you know, you know, talking to therapists and just, you know, really, I tried anything and everything and I sort of filtered it down to what worked, but okay. it's, it's the implementation, you know, put it, like if, if, if somebody wants to heal the, the kind of relational wound that we're talking about, if you look in their calendar, you know, they're nowadays probably on a computer. So if you kind of open up the computer and you look in that person's schedule, you can actually kind of get a good idea, like, is this going to work out or not? You know, is is their schedule supportive of it? You know, is, there, is, is their social circle, you know, their social life supportive of it? Do they have mentorship and support? And you'd kind of tend to see that in a, you know, in a person's calendar, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a bit of a long answer, but th- you know, my experience has been that really is what it takes, and that the insight is is a good beginning, but we really have to be willing to do what it takes, and then we really have to implement it and put the time in.
1: Wow. Okay. Well. <laughs> That was a very thorough answer, and I appreciate you sharing your personal story because I think it's it's a powerful one, and I think a lot of people who come from very tough beginnings have a very limiting belief about their present situation and their future, that you know you are the way you are because of how you were brought up, and um, you're living proof that that's not true, and there are tons of other cases where the person who makes the effort to do all these things um and really change can have a very, very different future than the one that they were brought up with.
0: That's right, and that really is the beauty of it. You know, it's a it's the journey of a lifetime and it's, you know, it it really is worth it.
1: Mhm. Yeah, and I think it's also very empowering to know that you actually have a lot more control over your life than you might think you do. Um I think that's what people don't always realize when you say you can change, you know, it's like, oh, well, not me. But um and the other thing that um I think is really important because so many people say they want change and you know, you and I have both worked with people who come for change and then don't stick with the plan. Um it's it's really amazing when they get it and they do it and they're in it the way that you described. Um but a lot of people It scares them. You know, when change starts to happen, it can get really scary. And you do change up everything. You know, you're changing like you're talking about your social circle, your circle of support. That changes. When you make change, that changes drastically. And um, you're going to piss off a lot of people. So (laughs) you have to be willing to piss people off. And especially if, you know, you talked about the different shells that people have. If you're one of those people-pleaser types who do everything for everybody, um, you've got to really make a choice to be taking care of yourself for a change.
0: You know, the, it's, that's right. You know, the that softy type, that people-pleaser type, you know, one of the difficulties in change I think that you're pointing to is that, you know, what, what, the, the way things are, it, it works in a particular way. There are, there are hidden benefits. You know, we call it the prostitution of authentic pain. There's authentic pain in there, but we develop these people-pleasing personalities or aggressive personalities or avoider personalities or depressive personalities, and there are a payoff for having those kind of personalities you know, there are benefits, you know, if we're, if, you know, back to our example, if we're avoiding relationship, well, there's a huge payoff for that. There's, there's no risk. (laughs) You know, there's a Mm -hmm. huge payoff. Things are familiar. We know what's going to come, you know, and it, it, you know, it, it, Fears. If if it's not scary, it's not change. <laughs> you know, kind of like
1: exactly. You know, if
0: it's if it's not scary or exciting, you know, if you're in an amusement park and it's not scary or exciting, you're not on a roller coaster. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it it you know it is, and and we you know we have to be willing to get off those um, you know those kind of circular routes, those you know those t- habits and tendencies that that give us something. But they don't give us what we really want. You know, they don't give us that kind of deep, intimate connection, to actually choose that, that deep, intimate connection, that love, that vulnerability, that you know, that openness to really make contact with another person again and face all the fears that come up for us in the face of that. And it's just worth it. You know, it it really absolutely is worth it. And in our hearts I think we all know that it's worth it. And it you know it does tend to require some hand holding and some support you know I still I was just you know Alicia and I teach three live groups uh every week, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, about twenty people per group and I was sharing um this last week, you know uh, because I went to New York you know over the weekend and I was sharing with them about my trip to New York and how you know there I am with my dad and you know, where where he wanted to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and we're walking through the museum, and he's you know he's severely handicapped, so it takes about 45 minutes to get to the place that he wants to go, and which was this place mm-hmm. that, where they play music, classical music, and they have sort of coffee on this balcony, and it's gorgeous. I've been there with him before, and we you know took this really long walk, <laughs> which was very difficult to get there, and it, it wasn't happening that day. You know, and then we walked all the way down to the, you know, other end of the museum to get to the normal cafeteria to get some coffee, and, like, it had just closed. And the, you know, I asked the guy, you know, if they would make my handicapped father a cup of coffee, you know, and and they they wouldn't do it. I got on the phone with the manager of the whole nine yards. But my point is that... You know, it, it really—you know—it it, the, the level of sadness that I felt surprised me. I've been doing this for over 20 years, and uh, you know, the the impression in my heart, the sadness that I could feel there, carrying relative to my to my father, and you know, with my mother, it's even greater. Even after all these years, it's still there. You know, mm-hmm. and but it, if we're willing, if we're open. To face those things and really, you know, really take those risks and 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 you know, I'm, I'm you know and and be vulnerable and be and be open in relationship. You know, of course, here I'm talking about a familial relationship, but it's the same underlying idea. You know, I had a great trip with my dad. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm probably only going to see him, you know, somewhere between a few and a dozen times more. He's he's quite elderly now. You know, mm-hmm. and he lives in New York. You know, so it's like. You know, it really is worth it, and it really is a great trip. You know, it really was a great trip. And the same applies in romantic relationship. You know, it's an, it's an opportunity to really get to it and really do it and face, face those impressions in our heart just like I saw. Wow, you know, there's a lot of sadness here. Okay, you know, yes, sadness, yes, okay, good. And then when we don't harden up around it, because you know there's a lot of time in the past where I hardened relative to my father or I avoided him or this or that, and like mm-hmm. boy, it just it just didn't work, and it absolutely doesn't work in a romantic relationship or finding well, a partner,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, people are so repelled by that hardening and guardedness and um negative energy that people project quite often in in dating and relationships and and also just being reactive, like you talked before about the triggers. But it sounds like you have found a place of compassion and um, and love for your father that is another level. Which I think that I've been toying with these ideas about parent-child relationships a lot in the past few weeks. My father died unexpectedly. About two weeks ago, and Ooh, we wow, had a com- com- yeah. It was thank you. Well, it was a complex relationship, as most parent-child relationships are, and I think I've been talking about it a lot to other people because I think people need a voice for that. They need to be able to say, "This was hard." You know, this was not a simple relationship, and there was a lot of pain there. Um, it's it's like not acceptable to say that in many circles because you're expected to just respect your parents. And not every parent-child relationship is simple. Um, But you really have to come to a place where you have accepted that that whatever it is, that they've done the best they could, that, you know, that they have, there's some kindness there, there's something there that you can take away. Um, You've got to work that through. And um, I really do believe that affects your relationships, your romantic relationships so much. And... um, it took me a long time to not be angry. Somebody said to me, Oh, are you just working out the anger now? I said, No, I worked that out a long time ago. And and it's important. It's really important work.
0: Yeah, because that, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that you know, that hardened shell, it 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 is unattractive. You know, the most attractive part of a human being is a person's presence. You know mm-hmm. their very presence, and if there's a shell around that presence, a sort of ego shell or a false self or some kind of you know hardening or you know even hardening in the in the form of being too soft, which is a you know a different type of hardening or avoiding mm-hmm. you know a a person loses their other people aren't as attracted to them the person is not as as attracted to themselves and I mean attracted in all senses you know human kind of attracted at a sort of soul level, attracted at a romantic level, attracted sexually, you know, if if we lose our heart, we lose everything. We lose the center. And Mm -hmm. if after, you know, childhood, which is difficult for most people, I mean, you know, being a little person in a big world, (laughs) you know, can be quite intense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you know if, if we lose our heart in that process and we don't go back and recontact ourselves, well, we, you know, we 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 fall out of love with ourselves. We can't fall in love with anybody else. We we're, we're people aren't as drawn to us. We're not as drawn to them. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of times when I work with people who can't find the right relationship partner, it's not always the case, but more often than not, the case is that they're rejecting everybody. You know yep. they're they're actually pushing everybody away, and you know what's what's attractive about that there's nothing attractive about that
1: right and it it all stems from self worth i you know that's it's you're really pushing yourself away if you're finding fault in everybody that's right, yeah,
0: and it's you know um, and there's you know it's loving oneself means dealing you know there's a way that people incorporate their parents into their mind. The mm-hmm. psychological terminology for that is a person's superego, you know so yeah. you know some in in common parlance, you know we might say the inner critic, well, you mm-hmm. know the one that the inner critic is the hardest on is oneself and and mm-hmm. in in this relational transformational journey, right at the beginning, we have to deal with the inner critic, and we have to we have to get that identity you know that that, mm-hmm. that internalized critic really out of the picture, or else nothing moves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to take a really quick break. Just give one more shout-out to our sponsor, um, audible.com. We are thrilled that they are sponsoring our show, and they are a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles that you can choose from, and you can listen on any device, including whatever you're listening to Last First Date Radio on right now. So if you sign up at audibletrial.com forward slash last first date, you'll get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. I'm not going to go into all the books on the bestseller list now because we have a shorter show today. We have about seven minutes left. But you should definitely go there. Um, I just downloaded a book. I can't wait to to listen to it. My friend actually wrote it. It's about happiness and um, how to be happier, which is always a good thing. Um, So... um, We're going to go back to Erwan Devon and we're going to talk about um, relationships. So you've recognized your own and you're working on yourself, but this happens, as you said, you and your partner, um, Alicia, your wife, um, are both still dealing with some of these fears and stumbling blocks that come from the past. Um, So how do you help each other in relationship? How do you support each other?
0: Well, the first thing is, to understand not only our relationship blueprint internally you know we've talked a bit about that on the show so far Sandy but mm-hmm. to understand the relationship blueprint between each other you know understand how we fit together as puzzle pieces so we we know what each other's uh trip is if you will you know we 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 have a you know we're we're both uh have psychology degrees And have both worked in the transformational field. So we we really understand each other's thing. So Mm -hmm. it makes it that when that's playing out, it's much easier to release it. Because like, oh, there's that thing. You know, oh, I'm doing that thing. You know, oh, uh-huh. I'm avoiding, or, you know, or she's capitulating, or, you know, or whatever. You know, we just kind of know that, like, that's that thing, and it makes it a lot harder to do when it's really clear, it's really obvious, we know the tendencies, we know, oh, that has to do with my past, that has to do with her past, and then it allows us to support each other, and, you know, we we, we talk, of course, but one of the things that we do that, you know, to give to give the folks listening today, uh, some, something concrete like a practice, one of the things that mm-hmm. we do is we do a lot of hands-on healing, and I find that to be extremely effective because it bypasses all of the kind of mental mentalization that, that human beings can get into. I mentioned that earlier. So it's very simple practice. We did it this morning, just you know, about an hour ago. One person will sit up by the other person's side. You know, uh, you know, one person is laying down. Let's say Alicia is laying down. I'm sitting up by her side. I put one hand on her heart, one hand on her abdomen, do some breathing together, put some New Age music on if we really want to go for it, put some vanilla incense on, maybe a candle, that kind of thing. And it makes all the difference in the world. It's so simple just to be with each other in that physical way where we're also connecting the, the heart center and then also connecting the the abdomen, sort of the body center, and it's the it, it's like a super highway of heart opening and feeling because the the wound that's carried in the soul or in the soul body, if you will, um, that that wound is addressed very directly. It's healed very directly. It doesn't have to. You know, it's good to understand, but we you know once the understanding is there. You know, you kind of need a hug or you kind of need to relax and have somebody be with you or breathe with you or something like that. So it's a very simple practice that I'll do with her or she'll do with me. There's all kinds of different variations of it that we teach our clients that involve massage or, you know, maybe even the hands above a person's body, just working with them energetically or different kinds of talking and mirroring, that kind of thing. But that kind of concrete, hands-on practice makes an enormous difference. Once you have the understanding. See, if you don't have the understanding and you do that kind of thing, you're going to be laying there, kind of still pissed off at the person. But if you're, if you know that, uh, you know, God, I'm pissed off, it just doesn't really have to do with Alicia. Like, oh, you know, would you do some deep touch on me? Okay, yeah, oh, you know, and then it's, you know, it, you get that nice, uh, you get that nice healing feeling. Mm -hmm. So some actual practices. You know some some couples like to go for a walk, maybe they live near we're in San Francisco here, so maybe they live near the beach, and they go for a walk on the beach, or maybe some deep touch or maybe some partner massage or something like that. You know, we teach a lot of uh, advanced sexual technique, um, our specialties extended orgasm, extending orgasm. We find that that's uh you know having advanced sex education is a is crucial to having an eternal date because the honeymoon period in relationships tends to be in the beginning after that novelty wears off if the couple doesn't know how to create chemistry and keep that sex life going to higher and higher heights you know the the thing tends to flatten out and that's you know maybe the you know the number one cause of you know outside of the psychological domain you know that's maybe the number one cause of uh... you know Relationship separating because you know you fall in love and then after a while like ah you're not in love anymore what do you do well you know how 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 do you fall more and more in love you know so we find the the sexual part to be uh, very very important so. Mm-hmm. that those are you know in the short period of time we have you know those are the things I would say is the understanding and then having some good together healing practices, some hands on some time together kind of thing um and then also uh some sensual and sexual practices to you know because it's it's amazing when the when the person's sex and love life that you know that part the juicy part is really rolling. You know, it doesn't wipe out all the other issues. You know, those do have to be dealt with. But boy, you know, you're you're way more forgiving of your partner.
1: It's true, and you do have to keep all of these aspects alive to keep your relationship nurtured and growing, and and not static, as so many people forget about that part once you find a partner. Um, so these right. are great. Um, I I really like that you shared some concrete examples. I'm I'm all about giving people concrete ways to improve themselves because it it just helps so much. Um, So I know you have to run. You have have to be somewhere. Um, So thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing so many great tips and um, sharing from your heart. And if you could just let our audience know how to find you, that would be great.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll say a couple of words about that. And, and Sandy, thank you. You know, I I love what you do. You've got a, I love last first date. It's a great, you know, it's a great um, sort of principle. You know, you really you're, you're communicating and serving people well with that. And you have a, you know, a very nice, real, uh, uh, calm, straightforward demeanor. And I'm, you know, I'm from New York, so I yeah, I appreciate that realness. Ah, And then I'll say a little bit, yeah, about how to reach us and what we do. Um, Alicia and I, we designed the relationship curriculum to support singles and then also couples in creating and sustaining what we call an eternal date. And it's a romantic relationship that reaches higher and higher peaks of intimacy and sexual pleasure. It's really everything from a soul connection to extended orgasm. The first course in that curriculum is the pleasure course. It's a three-day seminar. sort of launches the curriculum. It's like our flagship course. And Alicia is offering free 30-minute phone love and sex life goal setting consultations to anyone uh, listening uh, to your show, Sandy, who's interested in taking the pleasure course. And the way to set one of those up with her is you can go to www.pleasurecourse.com. Pleasure, like the word pleasure course, like a course of study. So, you know, no space, just one word, pleasurecourse.com. And you can uh, contact us from there. There's an email. There's a phone number on the, on the site. I'll give you the phone number right now. It's 415-71, uh, excuse me, 415-308-9580. So you can go to the website and get the phone number, or the email, or you've got it right there. And Alicia would love to talk to you if you're interested in taking the pleasure course. And uh, just really thank you again, Sandy. This has been super fun.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Erwan. And I'll be sure to publish this. So it's 415-308-9580?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, I might be posting a blog about the show. I usually do like a highlight thing, and then I can um, just put that little link at the bottom, and I'll send you a copy of that.
0: Yeah, that would be fantastic. All right,
1: right, great. Well, thank you so much. Okay, and thank you all for listening in today, and I hope that you all go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day.